old saying that fits our celebration of being debt-free as a church beautifully today, and it's this one, soli deo gloria, only to God be the glory, right? This is, this is God's good kindness to us. Northwake began in a rented space in a daycare center out by Capitol Boulevard just off of South Main Street. It doesn't even exist anymore. Um, and then after a year or so, they upgraded and moved to an old turn-of-the-century house that had been renovated and turned into a funeral home. It's still on our property. We affectionately refer to it as Building 2. That's where our student ministry meets now. They moved into there, and uh, the owners of the funeral home eventually, I think around 1999, issued us a buy it or move ultimatum. So we became the proud owners of a 100-year-old house that had been turned into uh, a funeral home. Uh, this is not the way that church growth gurus tell you how to do it. So solely Deo Gloria is really the way that it works. We, we bought the property next door, which had about 15 ramshackle buildings on it we had to tear down, and now we're the proud owners of, a, of an old house, turned into a funeral home, and about 2.8 acres of land. Um, there's an old, another old saying that's really appropriate for us to think about today. Uh, it comes from weddings. It's about the bride, not about the dress, right? It's a real important thing at weddings. You can get lost in that sometimes. It's real important in the church too. It's about the bride, it's not about the dress. And that's especially good for our church. The dress was pretty sorry back in the day. Um, if you were ever in there, we had burnt orange shag carpet and we still had pink and blue lights, body lights from the funeral home days that were still functioning in the building. Um, we were at one point in time, the only church maybe in the nation that actually had caskets in the nursery. I am not making this up. So, so if you get frustrated with the facilities around here, just know we've come a long way, baby, right? We have come a long way. Um, but, you know, the, God was at work in the midst of us, and the bride was becoming more and more beautiful, and people were being drawn to her and to the bridegroom. And so we went to two services, and we went to three services in that building, and... Um, started dragging trailers on and off the property on a regular basis. Um, not long after this, we realized that we lacked space for a church who was, who was meeting, running three services, but also whose children actually outnumbered the adults at that point in time. We had more children than adults in our congregation. But most importantly, we lacked room for our friends. And so if you came to Northwake after this building was built in 2004, which is almost all of you, you need to know we built this building for you. We wanted room for you. And if you peeled back this carpet and tore off some of that sheetrock, you would find written the names of friends that we love, that we begged God to bring to Jesus and let them enfold into our family here so they could worship him with us. And, and that's, that's why we built this building. In 2004, we broke ground for this building and buildings five and six, though you don't really break ground for buildings that have wheels, so I'm not sure what you say about that. We drug them on here. We added another classroom building in um, building seven around 2012, and through the kindness of God and many, many faithful sacrificial gifts, um, today we are debt-free as a church family. And so in some church traditions, you don't dedicate the building until it's paid for. It's interesting. So I want you to stand with me right where you are. 
and we're going to do a little responsive reading, and we're going we're to rededicate this building and ourselves to the Lord's use. If you join with me, dear friends, now that we have completed this building and by God's provision have paid all indebtedness on it, let us give thanks for it and rededicate its usefulness to God. So I'll be the pastor, you can be the congregation. All right. <laughs> to the glory of God, who has called us by grace, to the honor of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, to the praise of the Holy Spirit, who illumines and sanctifies us, we dedicate ourselves and this place. For the worship of God in prayer and praise, for the preaching of the everlasting gospel, for the celebration of the sacred acts of the Lord's Supper and baptism, O oh, great God, use us and this place. For the comfort of all who mourn, for strength to those who are tempted, for light for those who seek the way, O oh, great God, use us and this place. For the hallowing of family life, for teaching and guiding the young, for the perfecting of the saints, O oh, great God, use us and this place. For the conversion of sinners, for the promotion of righteousness, for the extension of God's reign among all peoples, O oh, great God, use us and this place. In the unity of the faith, in the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood, in love and grace towards all, in gratitude for the labors of all who love and have served this church, O oh, great God, we give you thanks for this place. Use it for your glory. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So, by the grace and kindness of God, we are free from debt. And the question is, so what now? Our mortgage, like the, the minimum that the bank made us pay so they wouldn't take it back, right, was about $10,000 a month. Um, we paid more than that. We were probably paying on average over the years a clip of closer to 17 a month we were paying. Um, so the, the temptation is to say, well, we get to keep it now. We get to keep that money now. Um, we can travel. We can get a new, shinier, high defier upgrade. That's what we can do. We get to do that. The mortgage is paid. And Randy Alcorn, in one of his books, reminds us of a really important perspective. It's helpful. He says, suppose you have an important package to send to someone who needs it. You take it to an overnight delivery service, what would you think if instead of delivering the package, the driver took it home? Okay. <laughs> so you confront him, and he says, if you didn't want me to keep it, why'd you give it to me in the first place? And you'd say, the package doesn't belong to you. Your job is to deliver it to the person who needs it. And then Alcorn says, just because God puts his money in our hands, doesn't mean he intends for us to keep it. Okay. So we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be the guy who forgets who owns it all. Worse, he thinks it's all for him. Okay. We don't want to be that guy. We want to be like this guy. Uh, watch what he does in this video. The audio's been lost, but watch this. It's from sportsillustrated.com. Watch this video. Imagine baseball noises, right? So this foul ball, goes this guy, he snags it, and then the cameras realize there's something going on. He does this little celebration, and then he gives it away. Look at that. Look at that guy. 
So they were so enamored by this, right? They're so enamored by this. Uh, they, they showed it again, replay. Watch this guy. Snags it, left-handed. Does his little, does his little celebration. And he gives it away. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, see, that's us. That's us. That's what we get to do. We get to give it away. Don't, don't be like this lady. Here's another one. Watch this. Foul ball for her. Oh. <laughs> she took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal. And she took it. Took it right back. Yeah. So, uh, anybody want to guess what her vocation was? Child psychologist. I am not making this up. Child. We don't want to be that lady. We want to be that guy. Okay? So, that's what I want to talk to you about today. How can we be that guy who gives it away? Um, But before I go any further, let me just say thank you. To those of you who've persevered in sacrifice to help us reach this place of being debt-free and able now to be generous at a whole new level, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, Christ is pleased with your sacrifice. Um, But we are not done being generous. We are just getting started. And as, as the Apostle Paul would say, I want us to excel still more in this act of worship called generosity, and I'd like to give you three great reasons for it today um, and share with you, remind you of some of the stories and scriptures that we've used over the years to encourage us along the way. So, first, we should be even more generous for God's sake, okay? Literally, for God's sake, be, be more generous. I have to watch my inflection there, right? For God's sake, be more generous. I mean it. Um, And by that I mean, first of all, for his reputation, right? This is who God is. He's wildly generous. We see it over and over again in the scriptures, especially in the miracles and the teaching of Jesus. Think about the miracles Jesus did. He didn't feed the 50 or the 500. He fed the 5,000, right? He didn't turn a gallon of water into wine. When you do the math, he turns 150 gallons of water into 150 gallons of wine. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I'm just going to keep on going. Um, The the discouraged disciples, they, they they don't, when they, Jesus tells them to cast out the net one more time, they don't just catch 12 fists. They catch 153 fish that are about to rip their nets in a single casting of the net. Jesus is saying to us, our God is wildly generous. We see it in the miracles. We hear it in Jesus' teaching, especially the way he portrays the Father in the stories that Jesus loved loved to tell. So, Jesus says that, Our God is the father who doesn't just welcome home a wayward son, but he kills the fatted calf, and he gives him a robe, and he gives him a ring, and he gets new kicks, and he throws a party to end all parties. That's our God. 
He's the master who forgives a mere servant the debt of a lifetime, really the debt of countless lifetimes, 10,000 talents. That's billions of dollars are forgiven simply because he asked. He's the master of the house who wants his house full of friends who will share his joy so he won't take no for an answer and he sends out invitations to the highways and hedges and compels people to come in that my house may be filled. He's so generous. He's the master of the estate who wildly overpays low-skilled workers at the end of the day that nobody else will hire. He's the master who promotes a lowly servant from serving food in his kitchen to a place over all his possessions. He's He's the master who gives five talents to one servant, and when he's found faithful, he gives him five talents more. A talent, it's not like America's got talent, but a financial measure. And someone estimated that a talent was equal to 20 years wages. This guy got 200 years of wages to steward. 200 years of wages. The master's lavishing on his servants. And then he says, in Matthew 25, the master says to this guy, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. (laughs) A little. 200 years of wages to our God is a little. I will set you over much. Imagine what that will be like. Enter into the joy of your master. He calls the five talents, 100 years wages, a little. This is a radically generous master. And God is the generous master in all these stories. He he considers 100 years wages a little. He gives the most generous of promotions. He delights to overpay his workers. He desperately wants to share his joy with a household full of undeserving folks. Our God is a generous master. He's the party-throwing father. That's what our God is like. The generosity of God is a backdrop to many of Jesus' parables, even when the parables emphasize seemingly opposite traits, like the severity of coming judgment. The themes of generosity and charitability and grace still invade. It's like you can't get away from them. Some of you will remember this story. It's told by Ellen Vaughn about a guy named Jerry who was in Russia with a ministry called Prison Fellowship International. And he and a group of friends visited a number of prisons. They finished their work in a few, days, a few days early. And so they asked their hosts if they could go visit children in the hospital. And they were taken to a 750-bed hospital in Moscow at the end of the Leninsky Prospect. Most of the beds were empty. This is where children with cancer and blood diseases came to die. There was a cafeteria but no food. No trained nurses, no laundry, no disinfectants, few medicines, no lab work. The children's families brought in and prepared food for them in the empty hospital kitchen. This was, at the time, the National Clinic for Children, where patients came from all over the Russian Federation. A staff person brought a young girl in an old wheelchair to Jerry. She's about 14 years old. She's got thin brown hair, dark circles under her eyes. And the woman told Jerry she has about four months to live. And we have no medicines to help her. So Jerry bends down to the girl's level and he says, what's her name? And the woman says, Eugenia. And Jerry rocks back on his heels because Eugenia was his daughter's name. What if his Eugenia was dying and needed medicine? What would he do? 
What would this Russian Eugenia's dad do for his daughter if he could? So the staff people told Jerry that the drug protocol for Eugenia would run about $18,000 U.S. Jerry's not a man of wealth, but he turned to a buddy with him, a cattle rancher named Ed, and he said, Jerry says, Ed, if we can't find someone to donate the money to help this little girl, I'll sell my car if you'll sell your truck, okay? And Ed says, you drive me crazy, always trying to swing these deals, but that's why I come on these trips with you, okay? But selling a car and a truck would only take them so far, she writes. There were lots of kids who needed lots of help, and Jerry returned to the U.S., got on the phone. Within two weeks, a prominent children's clinic had given him tens of thousands of dollars worth of drugs, packed in cooler boxes with dry ice, and Jerry was on a plane back to Moscow. Vaughn tells what happens when Jerry and the others got back to Moscow with a first plane load of medicine. When he and his buddies walked into the hospital in the night, Eugenia's mother saw them coming, and she ran down the dim corridor, her face incredulous, and burst into tears. And she exclaims in broken English, You are Jesus, are you not? See, we show Jesus best to the world when we are like him. When we are generous like him. And my hope is that now that we're free of this debt, we're going to gain a reputation of being generous in our community. And I hope that when your neighbor is in need, you'll be able to say to them, I think our church can help you. And we will. In Jesus' name, we will. You know, One way that we show the world what our God is like is by being generous, like he's been generous, so generous to us. And we, church, are faced with the extraordinary opportunity to show our community here and others around the world how generous our God is. When I talk about giving for God's sake, it's not just for his reputation, but it's also for his pleasure. This pleases our God. This is a really familiar passage. Don't let it run past you. This is for you. Listen to this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when you are a cheerful giver. It brings him delight that you are cheerful in your giving. Hebrews puts it another way in Hebrews 13. Don't neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God takes pleasure in our generosity. If you like the idea of bringing God pleasure with your life, then one of the things that pleases him most is being gladly generous, as he's been generous to us. Gladly generous is really important, gladly. So around Thanksgiving a number of years ago, uh, when radio commentator Paul Harvey was still alive and still broadcasting. Uh, he tells this true story of a woman and her frozen Thanksgiving turkey. Maybe, maybe you've heard it. Uh, the Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing holiday turkeys. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. <laughs> That's right, 23 years. The Butterball representative told her that the turkey would probably be safe to eat if the freezer had been kept below below zero for the entire 23 years, but the Butterball representative warned her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated to such a degree that she would not recommend eating it. And the caller replied, that's what I thought, we'll give the turkey to our church. 
glad generosity. Glad generosity. So hey, some of you have been training for this day with us here at North Wake for more than 15 years. Others of you have joined in more recently. Um, and some of you are yet to join in. Let me invite you, join us. Look, here's where we are right now with our, our, our church right now. The green are folks who are involved in this journey of faith, giving above and beyond, giving with us, and the red are not. So a little less than half of you are not yet involved. And I just want to say, don't miss the chance that's coming okay, to sense God's pleasure on your life all the more as you join us in being generous at whole new levels now that the mortgage is done. Do it for God's sake. Okay. The journey of faith is not dead. It's going to live. I'll explain to you in a more beautiful form than it ever has. Uh, but for God's sake, be generous. And for the world's sake. Because the needs are so very, very great. Um, look at this map. So there's 16,500 some people groups in our world. 6,000, almost 7,000 of them are called unreached peoples. They have no access to the good news of Jesus. No access, okay? It's almost impossible for them to hear the message of Jesus unless someone goes to them. That's almost three billion people who have no way to hear the good news of Jesus in our world. The missiologist guys tell us that only about one out of every 30 missionaries is actually working with those people. And at, here at North Wake, the majority, the vast majority of our international missionaries work with these very people, trying to share the good news of Jesus in places where it's never been heard. This seems to be something God loves for us to do and is doing through us here at North Wake. And now, because we're debt-free, we can do this in ways. We can give to enable the gospel to go to the unreached in ways we've never been able to before. You know, and there's so much suffering out there in our world, um, not just overseas, but here in our town. You have the heartache of a son who's been given over to drug addiction or the pain of a betrayal in a marriage, the burden of caring for aging parents when you can barely make it on your own, the ache of loneliness and depression an unexpected or difficult pregnancy, these and many, many more are the sufferings of your neighbors and mine. And my great hope is that we can take the resources that we have here to show the people here in Wake Forest that they are loved by God in tangible ways. Real practically, towards that end, money's so... You all that made JOF pledges, right? You made pledges through the end of the year because we didn't know when we were going to pay this thing off. You made pledges through the end of the year. Now, money that comes in, there's a handful of things. We're going to just keep giving, except now we're going to give it all. We're going to give it all away for the rest of the year. And one of the things we're going to give to is to the Human Coalition, um, a crisis pregnancy center kind of place. And we're going to help them in Raleigh purchase one of those 3D, 4D ultrasounds so people can see their babies in the womb, okay? That before picture, that's in the womb, people. We're gonna be able to show people, show them so they can grasp the reality of the little life that God has entrusted to them. 
And if you'll keep giving through the end of the year, this is one of the places where we're going to send our money so that they can buy that machine and begin to do this kind of, uh, this level of work with their clients. See, over the past 15 years, during this um, JOF mortgage uh, time, um, we were still able to send out 50 missionaries from Northwick. And out of our capital pay, uh, campaign, we gave away 10% of that money each year. We would take 10% and we would give it away to somebody rather than pay down our mortgage with it as a kind of a sowing seed for what we wanted to do in the future. And we've given money to the Human Coalition, to the Lottie Moon Offering for International Missions, an orphanage in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, two local church plants targeting the African-American community in Raleigh. Those are not our church plants, but they're churches we wanted to see flourish, so we seeded money in them. Disaster relief in Pakistan, a ministry to prostitutes and drug addicts in Kazakhstan, training Haitian pastors in the DR, our North Wake church plants, renovation of the bathrooms in Building 2 got some of that money, and outreach to Mormons at Brigham Young University, the first and only crisis pregnancy center in Puerto Rico. We sent Elizabeth to work with Jen in Ethiopia after Jen was released from prison there. Our church plant in Portland received some of this um, support for one of our families in China when they were in need of support. Keverly's ministry to the severely malnourished and starving children of Haiti has gotten this. And friends, we did all of that with one hand tied up behind our back by this mortgage. Um, we did it so that we would whet our appetites for something other than bigger and better and newer and shinier when this day came. It's here now. So what are we going to do with these resources? And I would say, let's be even more generous for the world's sake. Watch, watch this little one-minute video. Hello, my name is Habib, uh, and this is my wife, Amida, and I have two little children. As you see, I am living here in, in this places in the middle of nowhere because a while ago I had a vision about Jesus Christ. He said to me, he is the one I'm supposed to be following. And ever since I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and I had to tell my family about it and they became violent. My family told me they're gonna tell Taliban about us. Now if Taliban comes and catch us, they're gonna kill me right in the spot and uh, they're gonna take my children, make him a radical Muslim, and give my wife to somebody else. Your family, you guys are my brothers and sisters. If you guys don't do anything, who would do it? Your ways will change. Please do something. So I'm, I'm hoping now we can do more. We can do something to help our brothers and sisters around the world, to help the gospel get to those who've not yet heard. We, we're not just gonna give 10% away. We're gonna give 100%. Of everything that comes in tagged J-O-F, we're going to give it away. Um, so with the funds that come in for the rest of this year, you saw in the bulletin, we've already accrued like five grand after we paid off our mortgage. That money, everything else you pledge that you give, and anybody who wants to jump in on this kind of stuff, we're going to give money that will go, all of it, not 10%, but every penny will go to our Denver church plant, which is just starting in Denver. Um, 
We're gonna help fund the translation of the Bible into the Salar language in China. We've had a North Wake family who's been working there for uh, over a decade. They continue to stay involved. They've, they've managed to find one Salar believer who can serve as a translator. They ha- do not have the Bible in their language. This is a small Muslim people group in North Central China. We have the chance to help fund this translator so that he can translate the Bible into their language. We're going to send some money to our granddaughter church in D.C. um, that just started. Uh, They are a Spanish-speaking church, and uh, they will never be self-sufficient. They minister to the poor immigrant community in inner-city Washington, D.C., who are Spanish-speaking, and it's a beautiful thing. And this is what grandparents do, right? We spoil our grandkids, so we're going to send them some money. And I hope it's the first of a lot of money that we'll be able to send their way. And we're going to help purchase that 4D ultrasound machine for Human Coalition, uh, as I mentioned. We're also going to spruce up our lobby and our welcoming areas at the church a little bit. Because some of this money needs to be spent here on these facilities, these aging facilities. Um, The lobby looks pretty good in that picture because that's before we moved into it 15 years ago. And if you notice, we have not done a thing to it since. It's the same color, the same everything, pretty much. And we have a chance with some of these resources to begin to upgrade and freshen and better present our facilities um, to our guests and and to our friends when they come. So money you give to the rest of the year that's tagged J-O-F, it's going to those things. All of it. All of it. And that is a joy to us all. Um, So... I want to call you to be more generous for God's sake and for the world's sake and for your own sake. It really is better for you. Listen to this. This is is mind-blowing for American Christians. Listen to this closely. From Acts 20, Paul says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, these are Jesus' words, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you live like that? Let me just tell you, after 15 years plus of giving to this, I am more happily able to say this to you now than I was then. God has used this steady act of generosity to help me experience the joy and the blessing of giving. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Eugene Peterson describes this beautifully. Some of you will remember this story. It's from uh, his book, Run With the Horses. And he sees this family of birds, and they're trying to teach their young birds how to fly, right? These three young swallows, they're perched on a dead branch that stretches out over a lake. One adult swallow got alongside the chicks and started shoving them out towards the end of the branch, pushing, pushing pushing. The end, the last one, fell off. Somewhere between the branch and the water four feet below, the wings started working and the fledgling was off on his own. And then the second one. But the third swallow was not to be bullied. At the last possible moment, his grip on the branch loosened just enough so that he swung downward, then tightened again, bulldog tenacious, hanging upside down. The parent was without sentiment. He pecked at the desperately clinging talons until it was more painful for the poor chick to hang on than risk the insecurities of flying. The grip was released. The inexperienced wings began pumping. The mature swallow knew what the chick did not, that it would fly. 
that there was no danger in making it do what it was perfectly designed to do. So he says, birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk, they can cling. But flying is their characteristic action and not until they fly are they living at their best gracefully and beautifully. And then he turns to us and he said, giving is what we do best. It's the air into which we were born. It's the action that was designed into us before our birth. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life, afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we've never tried. But the sooner we start, he says, the better, for we're going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace and generosity. See, the alternative to generosity, to being a giver, is that we are a getter or, or a taker. And that leads us to places we don't want to go. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Pastor John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, uh, let me give you a picture of where the taker road leads to. It's a story about how you catch a monkey. The idea is that you get a jar with a narrow opening and tie it to something and then put something inside it that the monkey wants, like a banana or an orange or an iPhone. And then the, the monkey will come along and grab what is inside, but because he makes a fist uh, to grab, he can't get his fist out of the jar. And the monkey will be trapped, just stuck there, hour after hour, because he won't open his fist and let go of what he has. So you would think someone would come along and say, monkey, that banana is doing you no good. It isn't even making you happy. You can't benefit from it at all. If you keep clutching it, it means nothing but slavery and death. If you let it go, then you'll have freedom, joy, life, and community with other monkeys. But the monkey can't let it go. That's the story, he says. He says, apparently in real life, no monkey has ever actually been caught this way because monkeys aren't that stupid and aren't that greedy. He said, but do you know what species it does work with? He says, just take a drive around here. We have a lot of monkey jars. A guy comes up to Jesus, an able person, a rich young ruler. He's called He's called. Uh, he says, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I know the blessed life, the good life? I've been following all the rules. I've been leading a good, respectable, religious life. And Jesus says, you need to do one more thing. Take your hand out of the monkey jar. Take all that stuff your heart is wrapped around that you're clutching onto and sell it. Give it to people who need it. Then come and follow me. Let God be your God instead of the monkey jar, and then your life will really start. That man walks away from Jesus very sad because he would not take his hand out of the monkey jar. He would be okay following Jesus as long as he could bring the monkey jar with him. Another guy comes to Jesus one time, and this guy is desperate. This guy is not particularly respectable. He's a tax collector, but he has a lot of stuff. He has his hand in the monkey jar. Jesus gives him the same message. His name is Zacchaeus, and a miracle happens because when a hand comes out of the monkey jar, he says, it's always a miracle. And Zacchaeus' minds get changed, and he starts to think about where the monkey jar's been getting him, and his heart gets changed, and he says, all right, Jesus, I'm taking my hand out. 
All the people I've been exploiting and using, I'm going to give them four times what I've, been t- what I've taken from them. And I'm going to give away half of everything I own. Ortberg says, walk around the block. Drive around the neighborhoods. There are a lot of monkey jars around here. A lot of houses. A lot of portfolios. A lot of crazy lifestyles. A lot of monkey jars. These two guys, he says, get to the end of their lives. Which one do you think had regrets? A writer named Mike Pettingill put forward these statistics. He says, if you make $49,802 per year, which at the time he wrote this was the average income in the United States, you earn more money than 99% of the world's population. If your family earns $23,050 per year, the U.S. poverty level for a family of four, you're in the top 19% of the world's richest people. More than one half of the world's population lives below, think about that, more than one half of the world's population lives below the internationally defined poverty line of less than $2 a day. We are the richest church in the history of the world. So listen closely to these, these words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the richest church in the history of the world, to us. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then just a couple of verses later, he prescribes this antidote. As for the rich, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and always be ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. So for God's sake, and for the world's sake, and for the sake of your own soul, let me challenge you, press on towards greater levels of glad generosity now that this mortgage is gone and we can do some real kingdom damage with the resources that we, that we have together. 100%, not just 10% like we've done in the past, 100%, every penny of what you give to Northway can tag it, J-O-F, for the rest of this year will go to fund that Salar trans- translation project for that people group, in that unreached people group in China, the Denver church plant, that D.C. Spanish-speaking uh, church plant granddaughter of ours, the Human Coalition 4, 4D ultrasound machine, and some of our own facilities sprucing up that we need to do in lobby areas and reception areas and such. At our corporate prayer gathering on September the 8th, we're going to field from you and pray together over ideas about what to do with this money next year. Because in January, we're going to take JOF and enter missions, and we're going to merge those, and we're going to have Joffer missions. 
which the marketing department's still working on that a little bit. But we're going to merge those things, and we're going to give it away. It's going to be awesome. And in September, we're going to field ideas from you. We're going to pray over them. We're not going to be able to do all the ideas, but from those, we expect God to raise up some that he wants us to give to next year. And again, our mortgage, what the, the bare minimum that the bank made us pay was 120 grand a year. What can we do with those resources? Friends, it's time to be generous. We have trained for this low these many years, and now the day is here. And we've been so lavishly blessed by our good, good father. How can we not be generous to those in need? And so, as we close our time together, I want us to remember the great generosity of God for us that compels us to be generous. The Father generously gives us his Son, and the Son generously lays down his life, and the Spirit generously gives gifts to each one of us with the intent that we would be generous to the church that Jesus loves that we would love as we've been loved, we would forgive as we've been forgiven, we will bless as we've been blessed. So we want to close our time with the celebration of the Lord's table together um, and remember how much, how generously we've been loved.